When it comes to beauty, a pursuit of perfection can sometimes lead people to lose sight of how they really look. NYX Professional Makeup endeavours to provide accessible, professional makeup for everyone. Celebrating diversity and what makes us different is rooted in our brand's DNA. Whether that be different ethnicities, genderless beauty, or beauty in all shapes and sizes. Our community use NYX Professional Makeup products as artistic tools to express their uniqueness and to make them feel even more confident in their own beautiful skin. At NYX Professional Makeup, we understand the importance of promoting authentic and honest content that each person in our community feels they can relate to. That's why we never retouch any of our visuals. We embrace perfect imperfections. Pores, wrinkles, stray hairs, you name it. Because that's what real people look like. We are so confident in our products that there's no need to retouch. What you see is what you get. Shop NYX professional makeup in-store and online. Showing off fierce self-expression and loving what makes us different. This week's episode covers topics that some people might find upsetting. The chat does include some discussion of eating disorders, so please decide if it's right for you to listen. Welcome to the second series of The Beauty of It All. Now, this is the beauty obsessed big sister that you've always wanted. Hosted by me, Bit Hope, with Superdrug, The Beauty of It All takes a backstage look at the beauty industry, the issues facing it, and all the news and discussions that you've been craving. Now, this episode, we're going to be talking about beauty dysmorphia, how the pursuit of perfection can lead people to lose sight of how they really look, whether that means using apps to alter our faces or going under the knife or having injectables, why do some of us seek happiness in what we see in the mirror? Or validation in how others see us? And what can we do about it? Today, I'll be joined by the star of Geordie Shaw OGs, who's paving her way as an anti-bullying ambassador for Ditch the Label and is a newly qualified nutrition coach, Holly Hagen, and psychologist, author and broadcaster, Dr. Linda Papadopoulos. Welcome both of you how are you great good to meet you hey i'm good thank you thank you so much for joining me i know for sure that this is gonna be a really honest a really open chat um on an issue that i think a lot of listeners will relate to um so hopefully it'll be helpful but let's let's begin with a look at the world that we live in today because it's a world of social media influencers and filtered pictures in advertising magazines everywhere holly do you think that puts a lot of pressure on people to feel that they should look a certain way yeah and I mean I think we're all guilty of it as well because we all want to show ourselves in the best light and we all want to have you know smooth legs and we don't want to show cellulite because we've been conditioned over time to believe that it's not attractive so for so many years I've had hidden my legs as like a secret and I think that stemmed from seeing my mum do the same and it's really it's really important to me now to be able to have the confidence to actually show them because when I have a child I don't want her to see me having to cover up my legs or being insecure so it's really important for me to gain that confidence and hopefully I'm going to continue to do so. Why did your mum cover up her legs? Why do you think? Or did you ever talk about it? Um, yeah, I mean, sh- me and her have both got quite big legs. We've got big ankles. We always call them cankles. And um, for years, we've always said, like, oh, you know, we need to hide our legs. We need to wear trousers to accentuate our waists and, you know, hide our bigger parts, which is our legs and our ankles. So to hear her say that, 
And then for me to have exactly the same legs, I was never going to be able to love mine if she didn't love hers. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Because it's a, it's a quite a cute word, cankle. When you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, cankle. But, <laughs> but, do you know what I mean? But, it, but the effect that it has on you is anything but cute. And it's clearly so yeah. deep rooted because your mum felt the same way too. Yeah, and it is. It's, it's really sad. When you sort of have those thoughts and, and feelings, how much do you think it is because of what you see on the TV or in magazines or on social media, probably not for your yeah. mum on social media, but there was other, you know, stimulus at that at that time. Definitely. And I think growing up, my mum grew up in a world where it was kind of the heroin chic models and it was all very thin and, you know, you didn't really see anyone above a size 10 on a magazine cover so to then be a different size to what you see every day on the tv or in magazines you then automatically just think that that's wrong and that you need to do something to change that and you'll know yourself you see on magazines how to lose 10 pounds in one week or you know Mm. it's 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 pushed really really highly to us so yeah it's just I think now luckily things are starting to change it it feels like it's so normalized isn't it to just fall into self-loathing Dr Linda Mm -hmm. how do you think people get caught caught up in comparing themselves to what they see because no one's expecting us to look like someone in a magazine and yet we do beat ourselves up about that we're comparative creatures by nature right so um and and in many ways you've got you've got several things working against you i think from an evolutionary point of view we um, compare because we view the world in hierarchies and you can see this from very kind of primitive organisms right the way through but then beyond that from a you know the way that we're socialized right the way that we're socialized means that many times we especially women but I see increasingly with men as well we tend to mm. put all our self-esteem eggs in the beauty basket and why is that I think there's several reasons I think number one it's a shortcut to self-esteem right oh you look pretty oh you've you know you, you you've lost yeah. weight you're doing what you're talking whatever it is, it's a really easy shortcut. Number two, the industry that sells sort of beauty is a multi-billion dollar industry. And, and while there's a lot of great parts to it, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of lovely parts in terms of kind of, you know, um, playing around with fashion and hairstyles and makeup, but there's an insidious side. And the insidious side, especially in the past, I think we're slowly starting to change it now, has been focus on something in the mirror that you don't like and then get a product to fix that. So again, we're socialized into actually picking out those things that we don't like like you say you know like whether it's your ankles or you know or your hair or your waist or whatever it is your skin and then I think finally and really critically there's the way that we kind of fetishize self-worth and we distill it down to this these things that are arbitrary and I think this is one of the things that I speak about really often as well, you know, so much of what we see as beautiful is socially constructed. So I'm in my 40s, yeah. right? When I was growing up, the, I remember that there was models who couldn't get jobs because their lips were too big. I remember people like Kelly LeBrock being told, your lips are too big. Within a few years, they were getting fat pumped into their lips. There was models yeah. s- sucking fat out of their bums. Now everyone's putting fat back into their bums. There was people yeah. trying to darken their skin these things are socially the only thing that isn't socially constructed is facial symmetry but every you know everything else is something that we kind of develop so I think just having the ability to kind of define your own beauty and, and define what is beautiful and I think what I love about kind of you know speaking to girls of, of your generation is I think there's you're slowly you know 
and I think we will get onto social media because I think that's huge, but I think this idea of defining beauty on your own terms, right? I love mm. the notion that sort of, you know, lover or hater, and I genuinely have never watched an episode of the Kardashians, but I love the fact that she said, <laughs> this is my body type and I'm going to celebrate it. I'm not going to go get liposuction. And now all of a sudden, I don't know if she was the forerunner of this, but surely she was a big part of it. We've kind of seen that trend. So that to me is really important. This idea that body image is so subjective and because of that, that's where the good and the bad lies and you can use it to your benefit. It is mad though how we go through these trends, isn't it? Because especially if people are going to start going under the knife and having surgery to fit a certain trend, that trend's not going to be in fashion. However, many years later, it's yeah. a, it's a very risky road to be to be walking, and and it's it's one that you have walked, Holly. You've, you've been very honest about this. You've spoken about the pressures that you've been under to look good. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us before we go into you know what what you've you've done? But tell us about how you felt and the impact of those in, outside influences, and um, I'm including going on Geordie Shore or um, how boys view you or trolls online. Yeah, I mean, do you know what? It had a huge impact on me from such an early age. I was I used to look at people like Katie Price, and I thought, well, I don't have boobs, and she's so glamorous. She's on the front of every newspaper. That is what men desire, and I just always thought, right, as soon as I turn 18, I am getting a boob job, and that is exactly what I did. And I actually said to the surgeon, I want you to put the biggest possible implant you can fit inside of my body. And and I was was 18. Yeah. And I was 18 and I was unaware. And I honestly don't think that surgery should be allowed until you're even like 25, because unless it's an emergency or something that is, you know, you desperately need done, your mental stability just isn't where it's supposed to be to actually make these huge decisions. Yeah. I I think back to how I felt about myself my body what I knew about myself but also what I knew about my mind um at that age and I just I I couldn't make decisions about anything I wasn't ready for that um and and this notion of putting all of your eggs in the beauty basket is all your self-esteem eggs in the beauty basket is a really interesting one Linda because I think so many of us look to change what's on the surface before we think about what's underneath it and actually that could help us enormously 100% yeah I agree Absolutely. I think there's there's a lot, you know, there's this um, really interesting theorist to look at this area and they actually look at women's literature across the ages. And years ago, if you kind of look at the turn of the century, when they spoke about self-esteem, they'd speak a lot about um, being the person that kind of volunteered or learned a new skill or a new language. If you kind of look at where we've come now, it really is self-esteem is all about, you know, clarity of skin, shape of features, shape of body size. And that is in so many ways, soul destroying. And then you add on to that as well, you know, just how many, the way that we perceive ourselves, right? So if you kind of, if I wanted to create a cognitive exercise in poor self-esteem, I tell girls to do this. I'd say, take a bunch of pictures of yourself and look at the least worst one, get all the horrible ones. The one that's the least worst now, look at all the flaws and spend some time changing it. Make your legs look longer, change the lighting, you know, tuck things in and then post it and then sit back and wait. And if you don't get X amount of likes and X amount of minutes, then start over again. And that is literally what we have young girls doing straight through through, you know, time and time again. And we wonder why we have this epidemic of of eating disorders and body image disorders. Yeah. What do you think, Holly, was the biggest impact on how you perceive yourself? Was it social media? Was it the limelight? Was it comparing yourself to others? Uh, Yeah, I definitely think that it was... 
I definitely think that it was the trolls that had the biggest impact because being called fat and ugly for so many years, I just thought, well, if I'm skinny and pretty, then maybe the trolling will stop. So I went on this mission to become skinnier and prettier. And I had these procedures done, which made me, you know, what society would deem more beautiful. And I started getting a couple of compliments, but the trolling didn't end. It kind of just turned to something different so instead of it being oh she's fat and ugly it was she's had too much surgery she's too skinny and then about a year ago I started to realize that no matter what I did these trolls weren't going to stop and maybe it's actually not me that's the issue maybe it's them maybe they're the ones who are with these insecurities and you know nobody who is happy and confident in their own lives would ever go out of the way to make somebody feel bad online and I think that's what I've started to realize it's um it's a really important realization that many of us don't even get until way later in our lives that actually seeking validation from people you don't value the opinions of is a pointless exercise and it's one that hurts you more than anything um when these people say things like this how does it make you feel when you've had a period of 10 years um of people saying the exact same things about you you kind of just think well if all of these people are saying it then it must be true and it does make you feel awful it does make you have very low self-esteem and I think a lot of the time in the beginning of my career on tv I was just seeking validation from men and mm-hmm. uh, if they didn't fancy me it kind of felt like the end of the world and everyone used to talk about this these girls called worldies and they were your typical size eight beautiful big bums big boobs you know nice pretty natural faces and we were never called that and our mission was to just be a worldie and to an 18 year old you know it's, it's quite a difficult thing and it's yeah it's not very nice but luckily now that I'm 28 I'm a little bit older and wiser and it's not all about how you look it's about what's in your head and in your heart you did a thing there where you you said um these little size eight beautiful as though you were equating being a size eight with being beautiful which is that socialization that dr linda was telling us about so what we need to do is i guess split (laughs) what what happens in in our heads and what we think is beautiful to what with what is Mm -hmm. dr linda what are the main issues around beauty dysmorphia and where this kind of this split between what we think we see and what we actually see how can it leave people feeling so body dysmorphia is a clinical term that's actually very similar it's kind of like an anxiety disorder right so it underlies very similar intrusive thoughts that you would have if you had an obsessive compulsive disorder so these intrusive thoughts tend to center around not being whatever enough, right? So I've worked with people who decided that their their nose is wrong, even though if you asked 100 people, 99 wouldn't see a thing. You know, there's people. And I think, Holly, it's really interesting that you kind of speak about how sometimes we inherit the parts of our body that become dysmorphic about, right? So the way that our moms speak about them or kind of comparisons, you know, with, with, with siblings, things like that come through. Now, I, I think what we have to make the distinction of here, so I think... In many ways, 
I think increasingly we all have, because of the visual nature of society that we live in, some semblance of, a, you know, uh, of being on this continuum of feeling dysmorphic. But in very serious cases of body dysmorphia, to have the clinical features, you see people's lives being completely ruined, not being able to, to leave the house, covering up mirrors, refusing to take photographs, not engaging in any social activities. They can become agoraphobic before. So it's actually a very serious condition. Um, I think also, you know, and, and for me as a clinician, one of the things that, you know, it's, it's sort of like with eating disorders, there's eating disorders, and then there's disordered eating. So, you know, there's body dysmorphia, but then there is this idea of just sort of a general, just kind of feeling generally dysmorphic. And I, and I think we need absolutely to start thinking about how we change the language that we use, not just about each other, but about ourselves, right? Because someone can sit across from you till the cows come home and say to you, you know, you're gorgeous, you're beautiful. And, and, and the thank you for speaking about this because it's so wonderful that you know that you know that I, I think it will resonate so much in my experience kind of what you're saying and and yeah. I think you know having someone like you say well this is what I was seeing regardless of what anyone else was saying and, and that's what happens a thousand people can say you look great one troll or one person says something and we do that we, we have that kind of cognitive problem where we kind of just hold on to that one negative thing and therein lies the problem yeah is it that a dysmorphia, body dysmorphia, a beauty dysmorphia can then lead to other illnesses like an eating disorder, for example. It can lead to excessive uh, plastic surgery. It can lead to eating disorders. It can it can lead to just a general overall sense of depression and anxiety, right? So you're constantly checking, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to think of the impact of these illnesses on how much smaller they make your life, right? You've got to think about, again, how much of your energy is spent worrying about this. And the average day you have sort of thousands of thoughts. What proportion of those thoughts are spent thinking, I wish my ankles, my calves, my arms, my stomach look different? And what impact? does then have on your yeah. relationships on your self-esteem on your your overall sense of wellness and I guess the thing is that even if you do change your calves or your cankles or whatever it is that you think isn't good enough you're still going to feel that way that's really yeah, insightful definitely. so one of the things that we know is that it moves right so we know that a lot of people if, if you're not really dealing with the underlying issue you're like okay well my you know my ankles are okay now but I actually never really liked I don't know my acne scars you know it'll move around because yeah. ultimately there needs to be a sense of loving yourself not when and not if but just because, right? And just why, you know, this, this idea that we're all these works in progress, this idea that, you know, we'll, we'll get the job or the guy or the girl or the life when we look. No, there has to be a sense of kind of valuing oneself and the way that we deconstruct ourselves. And I think this is the other thing I, and I'd love, you know, again, I think with both of you sort of being in the public eye, you must feel this, but I think increasingly, Every girl feels this. We self-objectify. We stand outside ourselves and look at ourselves in the third person, right? So we kind of look at ourselves as objects, not as human beings, but as objects mm -hmm. to be consumed. In fact, when they do eye tracking, um, they do these really interesting studies with women and men when they kind of track what they look at with their eyes. And they find that women especially tend to do this thing where they cut their bodies up. So love my eyes, hate my nose, like my lips, hate my chin, and literally 
kind of cut your body up like that. Well, you know, you have to see yourself as a whole human being, not these, you know, specific jigsaw pieces to fit together and to attain some sort of perfection. It is a phrase that we keep saying and that is becoming more and more part of our everyday lives and vocabulary, which is great. But love yourself is something that I don't know about you guys. I don't know about you, Holly, but when I was at school, it was um, an insult in the playground. So if someone said, you love yourself, it was supposed to make you feel bad, like you're big headed or you're full of yourself. And so we kind of have this ingrained in us that loving yourself is a really negative thing. And it's only recently that we've realized, actually, (laughs) that's fundamental to us being able to to function as human beings, as opposed to, as you say, Dr. Linda, objectifying ourselves, which I completely, what you just described is so recognizable, this cutting yourself up. And well, if that was different, if that was different, then I'll, I'll achieve some kind of happiness. Happiness is not connected to the way I look and it never will be. No. Um, Holly, you've spoken about suffering from that low self-esteem and that leading you to then having surgery. And I think I've read as well about having um, bulimia. Yeah. Can you tell me how that process happened, where it went from, okay, these people are saying these things to me, yeah. I'm going to do this. And then how you felt afterwards. Yeah. So I think it was only very recently that I've actually spoken about bulimia and I mean I still even find it really difficult to say the word because it's not something that I ever felt like I had when I was on this mission to lose weight and I would end up losing half a stone but then we'd go back to film Geordie Shaw and that is when we live in a house for six weeks and we drink every night and we eat takeaways there's no access to a gym and we gain the weight back so for me it was about trying to find a way that I could still film this tv show and still give everything to the producers and you know the show that I was filming and also still be able to maintain the weight loss so I actually it was around about then that I started to make myself sick and a couple of weeks into this the producers actually found out and they were extremely concerned really worried um she was a mother herself so she was just you know distraught about the whole thing and they put me on the phone to the counselor and everything and they did the best that they could but essentially unless you want to actually change or you acknowledge that it is a problem, you are still going to continue to do it. And to me, it wasn't ever bulimia. It was just a way of coping with the situation at the time. But obviously that then spirals out of control and, you know, it ends up being up to seven times a day at one point. Jeez, Ollie. I know. How how did that that affect your body? Because uh, we know that's a very dangerous thing. Oh God. Well, my throat was constantly full of acid. I had acid reflux. Um, My teeth were starting to discolour and go yellow. And yeah, it was just awful because I'd be out with friends or whatever and I'd be going to make myself sick in the toilet. And it's not nice at all. And until you actually recognise it, is an issue which I didn't really till about three years ago when my new well my fiance now he said at the time he's like you can't keep doing that it's not a normal thing to do you know you need to you need to stop and since he said that I I completely stopped I'm glad to hear it um it's a really difficult journey for so many people one of my I remember one of my best friends was so so ill for so long Mm -hmm. um and some people don't know to get help because there's it's weirdly normalized yeah but the way you look might not be the issue you know it, it, as we're, we're discovering it's something under the surface at what point did you realize that maybe your relationship with how you look wasn't healthy and it was that rather than the actual nuts and bolts of how you look um I think 
it kind of came when I met my fiance because I was a little bit bigger then as well. And he kind of, he loved every single part of me. And I just started to think, well, actually like he's the most stunningly beautiful man you'll ever meet. Like he's so <laughs> gorgeous. And I was like, I, I never in a million years thought this man would actually want to go for me. And then after that, I just started backing myself a bit more. And I was like, do you know what? I'm actually a really good person. Um, I've got a, a great mind in there. I know a lot of people would consider me as quite unintelligent because of the show that I've been on but I'm actually quite clever and once I started telling myself these compliments every day the compliments that you say in the in the school playground you would be bullied for saying it's like you know you start to actually think if you say it often enough you actually start to believe it and I really truly believe that that's what happened with me and I'm so glad because now I just feel like I can use my experience to to help others and to open everyone else's eyes because the majority of girls and boys out there are struggling and they don't know what to do. Just hearing you speaking then about finding your voice and finding your happy and finding your self-worth it honestly like it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up because <laughs> yeah. I think it's so, do you know what I mean it's just it's it's special it's important and I want I want everyone to know that they can feel that way sometimes yeah. you don't even realize you can and no. um, that's the first step and it takes a very very long time as well like self-love isn't something that just happens overnight I mean I've just found it at 26 and I, I felt horrendous from being like 12 years old so it's not something that you can just change it's got to be a, a process yeah mental health affects everyone so Superdrug have partnered with my online therapy the uk's leading online therapy site to help increase awareness and accessibility of mental health services we want to open the discussion around all topics such as beauty dysmorphia and help support people's overall mental and emotional health head over to superdrug.com and find out more about our mental health service my online therapy service is subject to terms and conditions the therapist will review your medical assessment to determine if you're suitable for their service if you're unsuitable for their service we will provide relevant next steps suitable for customers aged 18 years or above only Dr. Linda, how common are these feelings that Holly's described and, and the roller coaster of feelings over the years that she's described, especially amongst young women? Sadly, far too common, um, far, far too common. And, you know, I, I think that what's critical here is to kind of understand this idea that one's identity, very sadly, um, especially when they're young, seems to be bound up in these things that do sort of these indicators of success, right? So, you know, whether it's sort of beauty or a specific body type or, or even material goods. And I think it's, you know, th this thing that you mentioned, Holly, about kind of kindness, intelligence, mm -hmm. these, these really important attributes that actually matter so much more. And then, you, you know, these are the things that we need to kind of begin to kind of speak to, to our kids, to our, you know, to ourselves, to each other in terms of how, how we value and validate each other, because there just seems to be such a disproportionate amount of energy placed on something that goes. And, and I'll tell you, that's the thing, you know, no matter how pretty you are, that fades, right? The stuff, you know, one of my things that I've always said is like, I, you know, I love my highlights, but I like my PhD a hell of a lot more. You know, I love the books I've written a hell of a lot more. The companies are, why? Because that's, that's you know, when, when I'm gone, that's what my little girl has, right? That's what my husband, yeah. like, you know, the people that love me, that know me. And again, if you think about it, you know, who do we, who do we admire in life? Whether it's, I don't know, whether it's Mother Teresa or Nelson Mandela, you're not going to sit there saying, what, what do they look like? You know, you're like, who cares what they look like? Look at what yeah. they did. They changed the world. And in some ways, 
I don't want to get on too much of a sort of feminist high horse here, but like, it's a bit of a dupe, right? While while people are changing the world and running companies and curing diseases, we're sitting here worried about whether our lips are the right size. It's all about measure. So, you know, if you are this kind of pie and, you know, yes, let one slice be looking good, but what are your other slices? Think about those slices, embrace them, invest in them. And you know what? Pick them out in your friends for all the young people, you know, listening now. Instead of the, the, the compliment always being, wow, you look good. You could imagine if we were like, wow, that's such an, you know, insightful thing. You said, like, oh, my God, you made me feel so good. That was so kind. If we start changing sort of, you know, the, the language of value, then, then maybe we begin to value ourselves differently. That's such a good point. If anyone listening right now is out, out to meet their friends a bit later, don't say, and it is a lovely thing to say, don't, but don't just say, you look great. Say, oh my God, that's such a great thing that you just said. Or I'm yeah. so proud of that, that piece I just saw you write. Or, you know, that, you, that, that piece of advice that you gave to our other friend the other day, that really helped them. So thank you for being such a kind and thoughtful and intelligent person because it means so much more. And maybe if we could shift this idea of what being beautiful is to that, then we'd be in a, a much better position. But how how can we do that? Because we've mentioned social media, we've mentioned trolls, we've mentioned um, advertising campaigns in the beauty industry. How can they help to shift what being beautiful means to something that will be more beneficial and healthier for all of us? What do you think, Dr. Linda? I think we need to kind of look at this in terms of what we can do as individuals, what we can do in terms of sort of families, and then what we can do in terms of wider structures. So I think we need some individual responsibility, right? We live in a time where we have more access to information than ever before, right? So I would urge everyone out there to kind of Find a passion outside how they look. By again, by all means, sort of invest in fashion and makeup, but find out, you know, are you someone that loves history or languages? Are you a great at helping people? So to begin to sort of see in yourself and build in yourself something of value that's outside how you look. If you are a parent, be aware of how you discuss things like eating and looks around your children. You know, again, whenever anyone would say about my little girl, isn't she pretty? I'd say, yeah, she's amazing at math and really good at kickboxing mm -hmm. because she was and again I wanted her to know that you know just because people can't see this stuff about you doesn't mean that it's not important in fact that's more important that's the stuff that's going to stick so think about the message you give and then again I think you know in terms of advertising you know thank goodness we have more diversity now thank goodness we have you know uh, I, I don't think you know we're there yet but certainly it's, it's way different to when I was growing up and you just had this one monolith. Like I remember I, I couldn't find a Barbie that didn't have blonde hair. So we're starting to shift that. But I think now we have a voice and I think we don't have to be mean and necessarily cancel each other if we get it wrong. But I think we can feed back and say, Hey, it's really lovely that I see someone that looks like me, you know, like, and I'm going to vote with my buying power like that. So I think we, we need to do that as well. Yeah. It represents Presentation is, is really important. I completely feel you with the Barbie thing because there was never a Barbie that looked like me. And I just thought I was so ugly because I, I don't belong. I don't belong yeah. on the shelf. So do I belong yeah. anywhere? It, it makes you question everything. Um, when you look at advertising and, and social media now, Holly, given the journey that you've been on, um, how do you feel? Has your relationship with your appearance changed over time? And do you have any regrets actually about changing the way you look? 
Um, yeah, hundred percent. And I completely agree with what you said, Linda, about, you know, I used to think makeup was my passion and I loved makeup and I loved applying it. And then I just started to get really bored of it and, you know, just doing the whole posting on social media and whatever, it wasn't giving me any fulfillment in my life. And then I've started kind of doing other things such as, um, I've just completed a nutrition course and I can now coach nutrition and mm-hmm. being able to help people actually change how they you know think about these different things and be able to have a purpose is so much more fulfilling to answer your question Vic it it definitely a hundred percent I do have so many regrets because if anything it made me worse and having surgery maybe for a couple of weeks made me look better but so going under the knife doesn't teach you how to control your appetite it doesn't teach you how to stop emotional eating it doesn't teach you how to you know it include exercise as as part of your routine and it doesn't help in any way with your mental health whatsoever so since I've started including you know good diet exercise and you know eating what I want but in moderation oh my god I can't even tell you the weight that's lifted off my shoulders and just now I just want to scream it from the rooftops (laughs) and tell everyone that you know if I can do it somebody who's been absolutely battered for how she looks on tv for 10 years then Jesus everyone can do it and that's that's my main passion in life now to be able to help people I'm so happy to hear it, to hear that you're harnessing your struggles to help other people and to help them in a very, very tangible way. Because what you mentioned there, we hadn't even touched on before is actual health. Obviously, mental health is health, but also physical health um, that that surgery does not. It, it doesn't help you at all no. and people need to we need to be healthy now more than ever I mean look at the times that we found ourselves in where social media can be so overwhelming yeah we need to keep ourselves healthy yeah our minds our bodies and our souls um we also touched on talking to your fiance um Dr. Linda, when someone is going through struggles psychologically actually whether it's beauty dysmorphia or not how important is it to talk about these things with friends and family or is it at all? Cause I don't know, maybe you'd get bad advice. That's a really great question. Look, I, I think, I think it's really important to, to seek out help when you, when you need it. Now, sometimes people around you are, are, are helpful. Sometimes they're not, not because they don't want to be, but because they have their own issues. Right. So again, mm-hmm. if you're speaking to someone who struggled in the same way, so for example, we know online now, one of, you know, the things I worry about a lot is, is these, these sites that basically teach girls how to have eating disorders. They, you know, they're, they're guidebooks, there's tips on there to, to kind of do that. So this, and it, it's sort of, you know, couched this idea of like help, but actually it, it's the opposite. So I think the source of that help is very key. So I would say people that are closest to you, by all means, mention something. But I think if this is really serious, go speak to speak to a counselor, to a GP. There's so much great information out there. And actually, we actually have a lot of good data suggesting that, you know, proper cognitive therapy can help you so well to kind of address this. You know, and, and the point is, what is, you know, what does cognitive therapy do? It's just kind of changes the way that you think about things, just challenges the thoughts, you know, the thought that, you know, I need to be a size whatever to be beautiful. Well, that's interesting, you know, you know, does happiness only come in one shape and size? Like, what's the evidence for that? Or, you know, or unless I'm whatever, starving myself or going under the knife, then I'm not living up to expectations. Well, whose expectations? So it allows you to begin to challenge those thoughts. And the sooner you can get, I think, that kind of help to kind of rethink, retrain your mind, the faster it is you kind of reach the point that Holly describes, which is just being comfortable in your own skin. Do you think that 
taking a break from social media is is a good idea or does that not really get to the crux of the issue? I think, um, I think whereas there's good sides to social media, I think there's a really insidious side to social media. Um, I think that, um, that it's no coincidence that we give, especially girls at the precise time that they're seeking social acceptance when they're 12 or 13, we give them a phone that tracks how many people like them. I think that that is Mm -hmm. very problematic. I would suggest that if parents are giving their kids phones, that they're on top of what these things look like. And I would suggest for young women using them, ask yourself, what is a like? What what does, you know, what does someone double tapping a screen really mean? Why are we chasing these things, right? So, um, you know, I know we try, you know, that the, the, we monetize these things. There's a value in that sense. But I think what it becomes, it becomes conflated with the these sort of, you know, meters for our value. And you can never put your self-worth in the hands of people that don't know you. That is a recipe for disaster. And that is what these platforms are predicated on. They're predicated on the idea that you seek reassurance, you seek self-worth from they who's they (laughs) who is saying this to you you know it's like a giant bathroom wall that anyone can scribble on yet we take it to heart so you know what if you're going to use social media fine but you need to see it for what it is it's a giant bathroom wall you know use it for your own benefits promote your stuff but i would say the more distance you're able to have from it, you know, and whether that means taking a break every so often, I think definitely there's something to be said from kind of having that distance. Yeah, it becomes this time vacuum that is this vicious cycle. You get so embroiled in it. And I'm so guilty of this and have suffered from this where I'm I'm, where I'm not looking at my phone, but I'm thinking about what I might be getting on it. Who's scribbling on my bathroom wall? Yeah. <laughs> and why should I care? I don't, I don't know these people, but it is this constant seeking of validation, even when, as you've described, Holly, that validation is coming from trolls who will say something to you regardless of how you look even if yeah. you do lose the weight that they say you have they'll find something else to to get at you for and it, it, it like you shouldn't be having any that giving them any value any of your time do you ever take a step back from social media holly um yeah I do sometimes there is quite a lot of time where you know I don't post on social media and I kind of feel a little bit weird if I just post in a picture that has no caption and it's just a picture of me looking pretty I don't really feel like I'm giving anything and I just feel a little bit you know strange about it because if I'm just getting likes based on how I look it does make me feel a bit strange now. What advice would you have for anyone who is experiencing the same feelings that you've had in the past hearing feelings of low self-esteem and feelings of deep loathing of how you look and wanting to change Mm -hmm. how you look as a result of that? Yeah, I would say every single day when you wake up, even if it's like the hardest thing in the world to do, look in the mirror and pick something that you like about yourself. And every single day, repeat that to yourself. And then the next day, try and think of two things and then three things. And as soon as you start saying these things out loud and you then start to believe them, and that really was a huge, huge thing for me to start doing, actually retraining my brain to like myself again and not to... You know, if I was walking down the street and I I was somebody else, would I say those comments to the girl walking down the street? Of course I wouldn't. So why am I saying them to myself? We are so unkind to ourselves sometimes and you don't realise until you contextualise it as would you say this to someone else? So often we're told, oh, don't don't say to someone what you wouldn't say to yourself. Actually, the other way round, (laughs) more and more. It really is. Dr Linda, what positive advice could you give to anyone who might be struggling with beauty dysmorphia or even, you know what, just low self-esteem. 
I think I would say that nobody speaks to you more than you speak to yourself. So beware of the language that you use. Beware of how you value yourself. Beware of self-care. Um, it, it doesn't take a lot to, to kind of distill your self-worth down to some meaningless thing like, you know, shape or size, some arbitrary thing. You know, who, you know, who, who do you love and why? Why do you really love you? Begin to think about these things, articulate these things, catch those negative self-defeating thoughts and know ultimately, and I think this is a really important one, that there is help out there, right? So, if, you know, people that are listening to this, you know, the first step is always acknowledging that there is an issue. And I think it's really easy to dupe ourselves into thinking that, oh, well, everyone thinks like this. Well, actually, you know, no, not everyone, you know, decides they hate themselves. That That's not okay. You, you know, you can live in a much better space if that's how you're feeling, then that needs to be fixed. And that can be. And the first step is by saying to yourself that I deserve better. I deserve to talk to myself in a different way and feel a different way and get the help that you need. I know also even when you are better, when you do get better, you feel you've overcome, these feelings can come back. They can be triggered again. Um, Linda, what actions can we take to ensure that we're conscious of when things start to get too much again? I think you need to look at what are the indicators of those kind of those wobbles for you, right? So for some people, they they may begin to feel like their their just mood is disturbed. They may feel that they're kind of ruminating. They can't get rid of the thought over and over again. So I think, you know, keeping a diary of thoughts, just kind of recognizing when that difference sets in is key. And also, I think you raise a really important point. You know, when I work with anxiety disorders, you, you don't want to get to a point where you never have anxiety again. You want to get to a point where you say, bring it on, mm. bring on that negative comment from the troll. And you know what? I'm going to knock it out of the park because I'm not, I have a choice. I have a choice to believe you. And I think that's the other thing, you know, we're always responding to our thoughts. We're never really responding to what's going on outside us. If I'm saying something horrible to you, but I don't matter. You won't feel anything. If you decide that I matter, then you feel something. So all the power, mm. so much power is in your hands. You are responding to your feelings, your perceptions about what's going on outside. So again, by retraining your brain to kind of, you know, leave, you know, again, as, as Polly said, the trolls that are out there writing that stuff, they're not going to be very happy people. If somebody's going to take the <laughs> yeah. time out to write something that horrific, ain't having a great day. Let's just put it like that. So why are you, are you taking on their vitriol why are you taking on the time leave it where it is leave it there you know listen to the people that matter and ultimately become that voice inside your head you know reparent yourself become that voice that says to you that you are enough and even if that means that you know you're on a health kick and you're trying to do better or change that's fine but you're still wonderful where you are you're just you know you're just kind of progressing in a way that's positive and that still requires you to have that self-care. You are enough. You are everything. We can deal with so much more than we think we can, but that does not mean that we should. But you're right. When you know that you can, that is the most powerful thing to have in your arsenal. Look, we, we know we shouldn't be doing anything for the approval of others. We know that we shouldn't be putting all our self-esteem eggs in the beauty basket. <laughs> so I want to ask you both, just to finish now, what is your mantra for loving yourself, Holly? Um, I think mine is that nobody is ever going to love you if you can't love yourself because until you actually have that self-love yourself, you you have nothing to give anyone else. And I think a lot of people then look for other people to find their happiness when really it has to come from you. That makes me feel 
really emboldened, really powerful, really that's empowered. We, that's how we should feel, right, Linda? We should, yeah. at, at the end 100%. of the day, be loving ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's that great Oscar Wilde quote, you know, and just be yourself. Everyone else is taken. So figure out what it is that you love about you. You get to be you. You get to be alive in the here and now. You know, that that's really special. All the things that had to happen for all of us to be alive and to be happy in this <laughs> conversation. Yeah. And we think that we sit and we worry about things that are just really constructed in our heads because it's just you're worth so much more than that I'm totally. proud to be myself <laughs> literally hearing that you, you just you, you get that feeling in your stomach that you should hold on to and, and always feel because it's so special thank you so much honestly even if hearing that helps one listener today then it is so valuable like I'm sure I mean I know that what we've talked about will be really important for so many Please be kind, be kind to each other and be kind to yourselves. Thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you to my guests, Holly Hagen and Dr. Linda Papadopoulos. Thank um, you. For a frank and a painful and a special and honest and informative chat. Um, guys, honestly, I, I really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure, guys. Real pleasure to speak to you. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Keep keep helping others, keep inspiring others, but also keep helping and inspiring yourselves. This is the beauty of it all with me, Vic Hope. I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to make sure you never miss out on a new one. And why not leave us a review too? Thanks, guys. See you next time. <laughs>